Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 58. Today, I'm sitting down with one of my all-time favorite guests, Ashley Nell Tipton. My listeners who are Project Runway fans might recognize her as the show's season 14 winner. Ashley is passionate about plus-sized fashion and turned her love for sewing and design into a real deal business right out of school. Today, Ashley shares what it was like growing up overweight. She also shares the process of filming Project Runway, the importance of inclusive self-expression, bringing your unique voice to your work, and how much we both love therapy. Ashley is incredible, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode with her. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Ashley, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is going to be fun. Okay, so you are the Project Runway Season 14 winner of Forbes Top 30 Under 30 Visionary and an advocate for plus-size representation in fashion. So aside from those amazing accomplishments, can you give us some insight into your story, how you got started in fashion and design, and what your life and business has looked like in the past few years since Project Runway? Of course. Well, I've always known since a young age that I was a creative kid. Growing up for me, I learned quickly that I had a reading and writing disability that was dyslexia. And I knew it was different. I didn't really understand like what was my purpose in life and like having this disability and how can I overcome it. So I kind of just gravitated towards being more creative and being more hands-on and visual. And I think that's where my love of designing and clothing came from because there was a desire of wanting to wear fun clothing, but being plus size as a child, that was not available at all. So I just always remembered being in my room or playing with my Barbie dolls and dressing them up in these imagination outfits that I had in my head or that I had seen in magazines and my grandmother taught me how to sew when I was seven years old. And I've always had that passion for creating and creating clothing, especially. And um, as I got older, I started testing out how to make clothing for myself and for friends. And I ended up creating a collection my senior year of high school, using all my friends as my my models and I love I love the process of having an idea drawing it on a piece of paper and then 
figuring out the steps that you need to take in order to get that piece that you want to create. And so there was a lot of, you know, the unknown because I wasn't educated in creating clothing. I just knew how to put two pieces of fabric together. And I loved that process that made me want to go to school and further my education in fashion design. And so that's exactly what I did. So by the time I was in my senior year of college, I decided to showcase my first plus size collection at Full Figure Fashion Week, which is it's huge in the plus size community. It's like the huge awards or the huge fashion week for just plus size people. And I was only 20 years old and I had shown my first collection there. And it was such a positive feedback that I wanted to continue to create for plus size women and turn it into an actual business. So straight out of college, I opened up my own business in my parents' garage. And it was success overnight that I learned a lot about myself um, as a business owner. I was like, I know nothing about business, but I know everything about design. So I knew I needed to educate myself and surround myself with people who had a little bit more business knowledge than me that I can learn from. I love that you said that you were really interested in it as a kid. My listeners have heard me say this a million times. They're so sick of it. But I think that one of my biggest responsibilities as a mom is to really watch. I have a, I have twin boys that are four years old and I have a daughter who's six. And I believe that our natural born gifts and our talents, you know, are are woven into us, you know, the minute we're born or, you know, as we're being created. And, and I think that those a lot of times can get shoved down, you know, by someone saying that it, that's not cool or that's not good or that's, um, you're not good at that or that's not relevant or whatever that might be that by the time, gosh, we're 18 and someone says, what do you want to do with your life? Which by the way, is a ridiculous question to ask an 18 year old. Um, but I think that, you know, we go, well, I don't know. I'm not passionate about anything, which isn't true because we, we, we were born passionate about things and, but they get shoved down. So I, I think one of the most important things for me is to really look at my child and notice what they're naturally good at and what they naturally gravitate towards. And once they start to let that go, really kind of remind them of that and say, hey, what? why aren't you doing that anymore? Why aren't you drawing anymore? And I think what's kind of interesting is my daughter, Stella, at the beginning of last school year, she was making a really big deal about what she was wearing. And let me just say, she had just turned six. And I was like, it's fine. You're just going to wear this. It's great. Like, no, like, and I had said to her, I said, clothes don't matter. What matters is what is inside, what, how you are. And as the words came out of my mouth, Ashley, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what if clothes matter to her in the way of like creativity or, you mm -hmm. know, what if, what if she wants to be involved in this? And so I had to, I took her to school and then I thought about it. I mean, I'm telling you all day. I was like, what if that was her passion and I just smashed it? And now she thinks she could never do that because mommy doesn't think clothes are important, which that isn't true. But I just, you know, I, I don't think it's the most important thing. You know, I, I think what's in your heart is more. And so we came home later and I had that talk with her and we got through it. And I've told her, you know, if that is important to you, then I, it is important to me. And we're going to, we're going to 
work through it. And I want you to be able to share with me, you know, when things are important to you. And but we just are going to start getting ready a little earlier or something. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because at least you took the time to understand from her point of view. Because that reminds me of when my mom used to dress me up as a kid. And she would buy all my clothes for me. And I hated it because she always wanted to dress me the way she wanted to dress me up to hide my fatness. She always wanted to put me in dark clothes, always wanted to put me in vertical stripes, always clothing that was not my age. It was a little bit older. Like, I was shopping in the misses when I was 10 years old. So it it really scarred me. I mean, I'm not trying to say this to scare you about your daughter, but I really think that as a kid, it's a way of self-expression. Right. Totally. Um, and and that's all I ever dreamt of wanting to do as a child was to be able to express who I was through my clothing because I would see it on other people and kids. And I always questioned why was I not able to do that? And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that the fashion industry doesn't cater to that audience, you know, doesn't cater to kids who may be bigger than a size extra large or something like that. And it was even until I got older that there wasn't a lot of cute fashion for younger gender and younger kids who were bigger. May I ask you a question and you can totally school me on this and educate me. On this. Um, <laughs> no I, I'm, I'm, you're more than welcome to, I'm here to learn. But um, when you were growing up, you said you were heavier. Was, were other members of your family heavier as well? Did y'all talk about it? Was it a conversation or did you just feel, how did you feel? Like, how did that make you feel when your mom would dress you in dark clothes? Like, was there a conversation that said, I'm dressing you this way because, or did you just know when you felt shame or was there any of that? Oh yeah, there was definitely a lot of shame for being fat. My mother was fat. My dad was fat. My grandmother was fat, but none of my brothers and sisters were overweight. They were all thin. But I also think that it had a, a lot to do with genetics because we don't share the same fathers. Um, but growing up, I was told that I was fat and that fat wasn't acceptable. But it was really hard for me to accept it when my peers or the people who I looked up to were fat. Mm -hmm. So I knew that something was off. I was just like, it's not okay for me to be fat, but you're fat as well. I know I'm a kid, but shouldn't you lead an example for your children as well? Right. Um, but at that time, it just didn't make sense. Now looking back at it, being older, I can see it. But yeah, there wasn't really a conversation about it's okay, or it was always a negative thing. And I was constantly being yelled at, or teased. And then my mom would feel bad when I was being teased for being fat. And there just came with a lot of baggage being fat, and especially in a Hispanic family where, or in that culture, it's not really acceptable, but they feed you all the time, which is <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> so it's like a double edged sword. I don't know. It's it's really interesting. But all I can take from that experience is know that I don't 
ever want to talk to my children like that. Like I know what not to do and to accept them. You know, I heard, I once heard someone say, and I thought, oh, that's so powerful. I now know because of my boss or because of my mother or insert whatever it is, what kind of mother I want to be, because you also know what you don't want to be. And I exactly. think that that's uh, really powerful. But I, I also hate that you went through that. I don't think any, uh, that just breaks my heart for any child to have to have to go through that. Um, how is y'all's relationship now? How do you, how do they feel about everything now? My father has never had an issue with my size. Um, cause he's always been a, a, a larger person his whole life, even when he was a kid. I think my mother has been able to see both sides of being thinner and then bigger. I think my mom is the one person who had a hard time accepting the fact that I wanted to be a positive advocate for plus size community. She felt like if I was an advocate for it, that I would stay fat mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would surround myself with that. And I think it was just more of an insecurity that she had with herself. And I, I had to accept that and not really, I don't want to say I don't want to listen to my parents, but I just had to ignore the fact of my mom's opinion that she had for the plus size community and try to show her how this community is just like any other community, but we just want to feel welcomed and not an outsider. And I try to tell my mom positive messages or whenever she sees me, she doesn't like something on me. You know, I just try to brush it off because if I pay more attention to those negativity comments, then that just allows her to continue saying them. I just think if you ignore them, they'll get the message that it doesn't concern me. Right, right. So tell me how you got on Project Runway. On Project Runway, well, um, back in 2015, um, I had lost my grandmother, who was my number one supporter, advocate. She's the one who taught me how to sew. She had passed away, and two days after, I received an email from the Project Runway casting, saying that the applications were open. I guess I was on their files of Um, designers to contact to let them know when the applications are open. So I got that email and I'm reading the email while I'm in my studio, my parents' garage, and I'm reading the grand prize out loud. And at the time, my cousin was my assistant and she was just like, Ashley, you got to do this. You got to apply for Project Runway. Like your grandma would have would have wanted you to do this. Like I'll help you um, fill out the application because I know that you struggle with reading and writing. And so for two weeks, we filmed an audition tape, filled out the application, sent everything off. And maybe two or three weeks later, I received a phone call to come back and audition, have a live audition in front of um, the producers. And so I went through all the way of the audition. And two months later, I got a call back saying that I was on the show. And everything from there just changed my life from getting ready to go on a national television and closing down my business, packing everything up, mentally and physically trying to get myself ready and then pick out a wardrobe 
for myself to be on this show because being a plus size person, I always worry about what I'm wearing and how I'm presenting myself. So if I could, you know, schedule all out all my outfits out before I get on show, then I wouldn't have to worry about how I look and I can just focus on the challenge that is in front of me. So that was kind of like my method of before I went on the show, what was I doing? <laughs> right, right. What was that process like? Like, what was it like going there? Did you have to all stay in the same hotel? Were, were there early morning calls? Like how, what's the timeline that they filmed that? Oh yeah, you are thrown into the twilight zone because you've never seen what this is. It's like a whole nother world. TV is, it's it's crazy. <laughs> I wish there was just a TV show on the behind the scenes world. I do too. I think that would be fascinating. I've always wondered that. I've just always thought that that would be so fascinating to see. Oh my gosh, it is. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, so we filmed in New York City, or actually in New York. And then we filmed for six weeks. We do live together after maybe a few days of being there because there's this whole setup thing where they don't want none of the contestants to talk to each other for the first few days until they actually get it on camera. So we're all secluded. Um, but we do live with each other for the rest of the the show. Our call time can be anywhere from 5 till 7 a.m. in the morning. It all depends. We get mic'd. We all have morning reality where you see us talking in our apartments about what's going to happen. And then we all get put in a van. We don't know where we're going. Are you conscious then of the cameras there or do you kind of forget? Are you like, okay, I know I'm getting ready, but there's a camera there and I got to watch what I say. Or do you know? Yes. You're always cautious of the cameras and what you say. There's about anywhere from... 40 to 50 hours of footage that goes into a one hour TV show. Yeah, that's crazy. Because one challenge can take anywhere from two to three days to film. Right, totally. So there's like the day that you get the challenge, there's and then there's the day that you do the challenge, and then there's the next day, which is the runway. And then after the runway, the next day is another challenge. So you don't get any time to breathe. Right. Like you try to take every time you can to sleep, you know, get get the energy, like the things that you need to be ready for the next day. And like, sometimes we would have one day off, but it wasn't very much. <laughs> Would you pay a dollar a day for more energy, focus, and drive? That's what I get with Beekeepers Naturals Bee Powered Superfood Honey. Every day, I take a spoonful of their bee powered honey, and every night, I go to bed after my kids, which is saying a lot. Before bee powered, I'd be totally out of energy by 4 p.m. Can anyone relate? Running a growing business while being a mom to three kids, including some pretty wild twin boy toddlers, it's exhausting. But with Bee Powered, I feel more focused and driven than I have in a while, like maybe even before kids. You know I wouldn't try to sell you something that I don't believe in and actually use myself, but I love my Bee Powered, and now I honestly can't imagine my life without it. If you want 15% off Bee Powered, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B to get yours today. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash B-E-E. -E. 
have always wondered this, and this is this is such a boring question, but I've just always wondered: Do they come around and say, "Hey, we're going to order from this place. What do you want to eat?" Or do you have to like fill out ahead of time? These are my likes and my dislikes, and what I'm allergic to, and you just get what you get. Oh yeah. Um, so what? They take care of you. When you've been told that you're going to be on the show, you fill out all these forms of what you're allergic to, what you prefer to eat, what do you want to have stocked in the refrigerators at home and in studio. Yeah, because they want to make sure that we're comfortable. Like if there's something that we need, they'll go and find it. Like I know one of my requests is to always have avocado and tomatoes and tortillas mm-hmm. <laughs> for yes. being Hispanic. I was yes. like, I need that because you can't get any, you know, fresh guacamole in New York City. So I was like, I prefer to make it. <laughs> um, but yeah, they always took care of us. They always made sure that we had what we needed. They always catered our lunches, dinners and breakfast. And then if we were hungry when we got home, they would order something. So they always made sure we were good. What was your emotional state when you won? Because I'm sure there's part of you that's like, oh, I'm so glad I won. I'm so grateful. And now I've got this prize. And then there's probably a part of you that's like, I don't even care because I'm exhausted. And then there's probably a part of you too that thinks, now I got to like carry this on. You know, I've got this responsibility as a winner to like do something with this. You know, like what is going through your mind? Oh my gosh, there were so many things. I guess I'll start off by right after Heidi (laughs) told me that I won. It was... It was like almost my life flashed before my eyes. Like all the moments that I wanted to give up just went through my mind immediately. And like, it was almost a reflection back of like, thank you for never giving up, Ashley, because it all came down to this and everything that you did everything that everyone has helped you, it's all supported this and it finally paid off. And then it came down to like, oh my gosh, not only did I win, but every fat person that's watching this show feels the win with me. Mm. It's like our voices have been finally answered and heard. Mm. And we are not going to be missed anymore. Like this was the first time that plus size fashion was able to walk down New York Fashion Week. That's never been done before. And so for Project Runway to allow me and to announce me the winner, it was like a double win for us. So I won back in September of 2015 and everybody found out three months later that I won. So when they found out, I was getting a lot of backlash of that you know, I, sh- I didn't deserve to win. And so that automatically made me feel like I didn't deserve to win. And then Tim Gunn had came out with a podcast interview and he said that I was a token to Project Runway, a token winner, and that I should have never won. And that um, all I did was promote bad plus size fashion and that I look like a float in a parade because I wore tutus all the time. Oh my gosh. So to hear that from my mentor and someone who I have looked up to for years since Project Runway started, 
it really hurt. And I had to go through a lot of, you know, I'm not going to lie. I went to therapy a lot after Project Runway because I experienced a lot of PTSD Mm -hmm. from Project Runway. Like I would wake up um, with nightmares or not nightmares, but like dreams of me thinking that they're filming me while I'm asleep. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was going to therapy a lot for that because I I didn't know why I was having these dreams. And I would get a lot of anxiety whenever I was given challenges just in in life. Like it just, I, I guess I just cared so much about what other people thought of me because I was on TV and I was being judged by these people who I looked up to that it it was really hard for me to make decisions without thinking what a hundred people would think about right and at the end of the day it's who cares like do what makes me happy do what what I love to do and people will love that but it took me a long time to get over all of that until I actually started reading Identity from Robert Fritz I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert Fritz an author yeah yeah yeah. Mm mm-hmm um, I've taken his courses a couple of times. He's a huge mentor of mine and him helping me find my identity and my creativity and things like that has really helped me get over a lot of fears that Project Runways has created in my head. That's really good. I Listen, I'm a big big fan of therapy. I'm in it one yes. every Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I love I've, it. I've been in it for two years now. Every Tuesday, I won't miss it. I mean, it's just, it's such, I find it really fascinating to educate yourself about yourself. Yes, I, exactly. What did you learn? What was like your biggest takeaway from therapy? Hmm, I guess just realizing what type of person I am and which is (laughs) a very loving and creative person but I could be passive aggressive when people just strike me the wrong way and how I can't constantly react on my emotions and that I have to take the time to really think things out and weigh it between of something that I want somebody like I can't control people there's like a lot of things that I break down that I've learned from Robert Fritz it's like you can't expect people to do certain things and you can't expect people to change and just kind of critical thinking about certain situations and things that I want to do in my life. It just really helped me understand myself, love myself and be more kinder to myself in my mind. Cause we're all in our heads constantly and it's a battle and it, it kind of just plays a part in our lives. And if I could just have that, you know, not have that stress on me anymore, I could live life a little bit more peaceful. Yeah. I remember being, gosh, like six years old and laying in bed and thinking, so I never get a break from, from me. So I'm, I'm always with me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm always going to be having these thoughts. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of fascinating. You know, I mean, you're just always with yourself, which I think is why, you know, we often try to numb ourselves with, you know, with things and um, exactly. I mean, I wish I had somebody explain all of this to me and how my mind is programmed. Um, 
learning from Robert, it's like I realized that all of our minds are programmed differently from the from the get go, and it's all stems from where we've learned from our parents, from our teachers, from our grandparents, things like that. And it's kind of what mold us into believing certain things because they believed in it. So it it just kind of showed me that I may have thought that certain things in my past were the right way, but no, this is the way that I want to do it. I'm not going to say it's the right way just because someone told me it was the right way. I'm going to make that decision or have a different perspective on it, things like that. You got to just do what feels right in your in your soul, in your gut. Mm-hmm. And totally. I, I remember my father saying to me, and he's he's very, very wise, but I remember him saying, because I'm, I'm incredibly passionate <laughs> and I can get fired up about things or I can get really happy for other people and excited and I would get disappointed, you know, easily by other people's reactions. And I remember him saying to me, you cannot expect other people to react the way you would. Like you just can't, like the way you are going to handle something, that's just not how everybody's going to handle it. And that's okay. And you can't look down upon that or think badly of that. You just have to be good with how you would do it. And that's it. Okay, well, shifting gears back to back to fashion. Did you have we're we're about to go into the business side of it. Did you have growing pains when you transitioned from a more solopreneur, I'm assuming, life before Project Runway to working with a brand like, you know, JC Penney? What was hard through that process was not letting my ideas be watered down by a corporate company. Mm, good. There was a reason why I wanted to design this and there was a reason why they hired me. And so I always reminded myself that. And I remember there was a situation where I think I was on my second or third collection with them. And I kind of already figured how to work with them and understood that I'm going to you know, be designing a lot clothing, but when it comes down to it, they're going to narrow it down and we're going to pick through it. And I stand, I have to stand up for what I believe in my designs. And so I wanted to create a pair of biker shorts. And this is before biker shorts became a trend, not only because I I felt like it was going to be a huge trend comeback. um, I always felt like fashion was recycled and we were in betweens of letting go of the the 80s trends and the vintage trend into going into the 90s. Like I felt like I was going to have to recircle back all the 90 trends because they were slowly making a comeback. So that's why I decided to do biker shorts. And not only for the trends, but biker shorts are great for plus size women because we chafe in between our thighs. And especially that summer was coming up and I was creating a lot of cute dresses. I wanted to create a biker short that had a cute lace trimming at the bottom on your thigh so that if like your skirt was to flare up or anything, like at least they wouldn't look like sporty biker shorts. They look like cute, sexy shorts. And so I literally had to fight for those. Mm. And like plead my case to JCPenney's to tell them why we needed this. And that became one of their top sellers. Oh, good for you. Good for you for speaking up. And that had to make you feel so good, right? It did. It really did. Because my manager would kept telling me, Ashley, 
we're not leaving this office until you tell them again that we need those biker shorts. And I'm like, I already said it. They're not listening. He's like, just do it again. Like, right. You, you got, I believe in you and I believe in your thinking because we saw that JC Penney's did not have one single plus size person working in their plus size department. Mm. And I was like, how could this be? You need a plus size person there to be able to think through these issues, these sizing issues, the fabric problems, like all of this, like only a plus size person is going to be able to tell you the needs and the wants that we want because you don't live in our shoes. And I think we're finding this out more and more. I was speaking with someone earlier today. It was a private conversation, but it was something she had spoken with her friend who was representing someone who worked for a company that the whole company was targeted to. I mean, this is who they sold to. It was all Latina women. Mm -hmm. And there was not one Latina that worked there. And it was like, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah. We're finding this out more and more, and these are problems, and we've got to we've got to fix it. And so, I love that you notice that you notice that that there's not. Why is there no one in that's plus size working in plus size? Yeah, like where are you getting these feedbacks from your plus size models? Right, right. Who are a size twelve and is barely the beginning size of plus size? Right, 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 right. Totally. Oh, that is frustrating. Yeah. But I think they learned a lot from me being in that position. What does that look like? I've always wondered when you have a, and I'm sure everyone's different, but I, you know, you see um, someone like Joanna Gaines being with Target or, uh, you know, you with JCPenney. What does that collaboration look like? Like, is it really, do you feel like with your experience that, you know, it sounds like you were heard, you had to kind of push your point, but you were heard, but you are also involved with someone else's brand you're kind of merging two brands and then is it a partnership is it a 50 50 thing is it a one-time here's your pay and now you're gonna help us like what does all that look like it was really difficult for me to even understand what that looked like because it's basically a licensing deal for your face and your name I didn't realize that that's what it was until probably I was done. Because when I got into the influencer work or the collaborations, I say that with parentheses because back in 2016, I feel like that that was new words for us, especially for me being a designer. I was like, I'm not an, what's an influencer? What's a collaboration or influencer collaboration or a brand ambassador? Like all of that was very new. So what people don't know is when I was working with JC Penney's, I was not working. I was working with a third party company who was basically the middleman. And this middleman was the person who created the collaboration and mm-hmm. it would just translate it to me and JC Penney's. I did get to work with JC Penney's hand on hand with the designs, but when it came down to the marketing, promotion, fashion show, social media, all of that, I was not in existent to that. So when they first introduced this collaboration, they wanted me to be a brand ambassador. They did not want me to design. They just wanted me to sign off on their designs that I did not approve of. Mm -hmm. And 
they kept asking me, well, what do you want this collaboration to be? And I said, I want to design. And they're like, well, what if we curated a collection that wasn't, no, 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 I want to design. And so I basically, when JCPenney's was in the beginning of, you know, working out the contract and, you know, really trying to get me to sign it, we had this corporate meeting at their headquarters in Plano, Texas, and they flew in Nina Garcia for the meeting and we sat down and they told me what they needed and what they wanted to do in the plus size, um, their plus size section in all their stores. And then I told them how I could be an asset for them and how this is what I'm, this is what I see the collaboration being like. And this is what you got to do because I am the voice for this plus size community. And then basically after that meeting was done, Nina Garcia came up to me and she was like, you need to triple your offer amount and you need to design for the company. And the reason why Nina Garcia was there was because she was the brand ambassador at that time and she was about to exit and I was going to come in. So she was she gave me her attorneys and everything and she was like they will take care of you. Like she just believed That's in incredible. me so much that she really helped me through this process and nobody knows that. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. Yeah, so it was it was a huge learning experience, especially working with a corporate company. And then did the contract get, come up, or was it was it like a year contract, two year contract? It was an eighteen month contract where I got to create three capsule collections, and by the time we got to the last collection, I had no say in it. Mm. They, I feel like it's a continue, it's a repeating pattern that they do with collaborations, and I just felt like. JC Penney's was on their way of a comeback when I entered in and just looking at their stocks before I came in and when I came in it literally went up. I mean, I brought a whole new target, like a target yeah. of people to JC Penney's because JC Penney's never used to be the place for plus size fashion. And it was one of the newest spots to be shopping for plus size, especially in any state you go to, there's a JC Penney's in your local mall. And how fun would it be to be able to shop with people who's not your size, but in the same department store? So that was kind of where my thinking was and why I wanted to be with a company like them. But then by the time I was exiting JC Penney's, I could see that there was this lack of their, like, I felt like the company was sinking. I hope this episode is blowing your mind so far. For years, I hated Pinterest, and I held a grudge for the clients it stole from me when it first came out on the scene. But believe me when I say, Pinterest has earned my forgiveness. Today, I do almost all of my marketing through Pinterest, and I get inquiries from big-budget, ideal clients every single week. If you want to start using Pinterest to get leads and money in the bank, you need the power of pinning. Check it out now at thepowerofpinning.com. So you recently pivoted pretty quickly when COVID-19 hit and you started producing masks. It sounds like you are able to, you know, from 
from the JCPenney experience to every, it's like, you're able to go, okay, what's next? You know, what you're able to transition. So you pivoted pretty quickly when COVID-19 hit and you started producing masks. So how did that, I mean, I know how it came about, but what was it like to make that transition so quickly? I mean, it's not just me. I have to thank my manager, Andrew, who has helped me learn the process of pivoting and how it's okay it's okay. Like it doesn't define you or it doesn't make you look like a bad person. Like it only makes you look stronger because you're able to adjust. Me and him kind of put our heads together and we're slowly seeing that things were being affected by the virus in China and how a lot of work that we had going into China was not able to come back out. And we're like, it's only sooner or later before we, I mean, we don't know what it is. We don't know where it's going, but we're starting to see United States panic. And what can we do to help our social media audience feel a little bit at ease? Or how can I help them communicate that, you know, we're in a crisis right now, but don't be afraid. Um, We can't let the unknown scare us and how I want to be here to kind of help you through this process. And we wanted to do something even more. And we started seeing that face masks were going to be a huge trend in the fashion trend. And this was before coronavirus happened. So we were like, this is weird. You know, coronavirus is happening. Fashion masks are coming in. We need to jump on this bandwagon. So I think March 15th, I created my first sample. And three days later, we had 20 different prints of masks on our website. And we were donating and selling masks. And now we're, we've donated over 5,000 masks and have made over 15,000 masks, like sold them worldwide. That's incredible. It's, it's been insane to change from being a clothing designer to a, you know, sewing teacher, a self-love teacher, and then be creating masks and, you know, our whole team has changed. Our whole environment has changed. And we've had to kind of just problem solve and really work together and communicate. And it's made our team so much more stronger. That's incredible. I mean, even your masks, they still feel like you, you know? How important is it to not only meet, you know, a real need, but do it in a way that retains your brand identity? Because you seem to have a very clear understanding of of what your brand is thank you it takes a lot of work to understand your brand and to make sure that your audience understands your brand I think what is one thing that as a brand we keep reminding ourselves is like what feels like Ashley what's true to me because there's so many there's so many voices out there that people can persuade you to do certain things because they want to and I've played that game so many times that I never got the reaction that I wanted. And so I just always told myself to stay true to myself and not try to mold myself to something that somebody wants me to be. And there's a reason why people love me for who I am, because I'm so authentic and true to myself. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, you know, that 
when you were talking about just the the collaboration with JCPenney and being on reality TV show, I mean, there's a lot of opinions, you know, coming at you. And I'm just wondering, how do you keep your head down and listen to the voices that actually matter in your life when, when there's so much coming at you? I think it's all about hearing it and how you process it. And if it involves you or matters you or is it something that you already had an idea to and it's only a message telling me that I should go through with it so I think it's all about how you take the how you absorb things and what benefits you and what doesn't benefit you yeah I think it's all about what I've learned with Robert and how I let things be processed and how I take those things out of my mind it's it's practice every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's from my family saying one thing to working in a business or owning your own business and dealing with customer service and things like that. I mean, oh, I, I can't believe that I'm about to be 29 this year and I've learned so much. I can't believe you've done so much. You are, you're, you're an overachiever. I mean, you've done a lot. <laughs> I, say that, Thank you. I say that in the best way. I mean, I think that's Thank incredible. You. How do you disconnect from work and invest in self-care? Um, my favorite place is my home. And so I've been, I'm this year I'm recently a mother of plants. So I have so much plants in my home that I love walking around, um, watering my plants, cleaning the leaves, taking care of them, talking to them. Um, it's a whole new thing for me and I find so much meditation and, um, it just feels so good. Like, I don't feel like there's this, this gray cloud over my house anymore. I feel like there's so much clean air and brightness and happiness and positivity in my home that that's how I spend my self care is like taking care of my home. Cause I know my home's going to take care of me. And also listening to my body, you know, knowing when I need to be out in the sun or go out in nature, especially with being in COVID. Um, we've had to stay in a lot of the times and just going outside on my front lawn with no shoes on just makes me feel so much better to feel the grass in my toes. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds so weird, but it's just being one with nature that is really great self-care for me. Mm, definitely. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you for being so open and honest and answering all of those questions. I have got one more for you. I always end every episode asking this question. I just always think it's fascinating. So if you had Oprah money. Okay. So you had had billions of dollars and you had to spend it on yourself on something totally selfish. Okay. Can't not for anyone else, but just for you, what would you buy? Hmm. And I did hear this from your other podcast and I was like, Ooh, this is what I would say. (laughs) My original answer would be my dream home. Yes. Yes. And you were saying your home. Yeah. My dream home. Um, or probably like a really expensive designer bag. Uh, yeah, I mean, why not? Which, which was my 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 first purchase after winning Project Runway. After I took care of everything I needed to. What was, was like, it? It was a Chanel quilted backpack. Oh, and you still have oh, it. I still have it. It's my prized possession, and I've never spent that kind of money on anything. What color did you get? 
It was black leather. It was like my traveling backpack. <laughs> you were going to spin that, you go classic, right? I mean. Exactly. Because all I could think about is you're investing in a piece that doesn't do anything but collect time and value. Yes. Yes. Because Chanel never repeats itself. It oh, always brings so things in different variations. But like to have a piece that there's only so many of them out there, it's like a collection. I remember one time I was looking um, online somewhere and I told Brian, I said, that's my husband. I said, I should just buy like a Chanel purse and just like keep it because these 1960s Chanel purses that are like in great condition are going for so much money, so much Mm -hmm. more, you know, than like the, the ones that you can currently buy. I was like, I should just buy one and put it in the closet for 40 years and then then sell it. (laughs) I know, but it's like thousands of dollars just sitting there. But man, if it'll, if it'll appreciate like that, (laughs) then that's worth it. Um, I don't know. But, um, so where would your dream house be? Where would it be at? I think it would be here in San Diego along the beach. I love San Diego. We just were there about eight months ago. My family and I went. We stayed um, like 10 days. We had the best time. I loved it. <gasps> Where'd you guys stay? We stayed in an Airbnb. It was right by Balboa Park. Oh, Balboa Park. Okay. Uh-huh. It was right there. And it was... I mean, we just did so many things. We went to the beach. We, I mean, we went to museums. We went to really good. Oh my gosh. We went to that one Mexican restaurant that, um, in Old Town. Yeah. It's like, there's always a line outside the door. Yeah. I don't remember which one it is, but yeah, there's a lot of Mexican restaurants in Old Town that are known for, I mean, it was like authentic Mexican food. I don't even know if this was Old Town. This might've been just even like right outside San Diego, but it was, um, it was incredible. I'll have to think of it. Oh, wow. it was yes. I just love but it. San Diego's beautiful. It's so relaxing. It's so clean. I mean, this is a place I've been born and raised. I've traveled a lot and it's still my favorite city. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on here. You've been delightful. You're like one of my favorite Aww. guests. You've just been such a joy to talk to. Thank you for being open and honest and, and just sharing your heart with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate you having me on here and introducing me to your audience, which hello, everyone. Yes. (laughs) Tell us where we can find you. You can find me at ashleynelltipton.com and any social media sites using Ashley Nell Tipton. Perfect. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and chat with us again. Of course. I'll I'll talk to you about the next pivot I have in my life. (laughs) That sounds perfect. Okay. Thanks, Ash. Thanks. Ashley, thank you so much for being here today. Zimmerman listeners, I hope you loved today's episode. I felt so inspired hearing Ashley's conviction about her purpose in her business, in her role in the plus size community, and her confidence that she can always pivot into the next venture. Ashley is a queen at learning more, being flexible, and being 100% herself as she grows both as a person and as a brand. It was such a privilege to have Ashley on the show today. I'd love to hear your favorite moments from today's episode. Share them with me on Instagram at Jessica Zimmerman underscore. I'll see you next week on Zimmerman Podcast. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.